y'all would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19 beginning. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling. They were struggling with reconsidering their new or newish found faith, there were people around them saying, why are you doing that stuff? Why do you believe in that stuff? Come back over here. It's nice over here. And they were thinking about it. And the Hebrew writer exhorts them in a, in a variety of ways to hold true. You see that sort of those sorts of exhortations. You see verses 19, 20 and 21. He speaks about the great things that we have in Jesus Christ, the access we have to God, the connection we have to God that was otherwise impossible before and apart from the sacrifice of Christ. He exhorts us in verses 22 and 23 to draw near to God, not to drift further away, but to draw near to him and to hold tightly to what we have in Jesus Christ, to not let anything make us let that go. And then in verses 24 and 25, he gives us one of the, the keys to all of that, us maintaining the right kind of frame of mind about our beliefs, us holding firmly in our relationship to the Lord. He says one of the things that are most critical for Christians to be able to continue on with Christ is actually what we just sang about and how good it is, the Hebrew writer says in not so many words, when the family of God works together, considering one another, stirring each other up to love and good works in Jesus Christ. Well, how are we going to do that? He gives us the, the uh, practicality of that right here in verse 25. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. And he acknowledges that some people were doing that or had done that. He says, not you. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. This is critical. This is vital. This is essential. This is necessary. If you want to hold firmly to the Lord, your rock in the times of storm. I'm sure maybe all of you by now have, have read stories or uh, seen clips, people explaining that, over in Afghanistan, messages were sent out over the in recent days to those who worship Jesus. We know who you are. We know where you meet. And we're coming for you. Of course, they're not the only people who've had their times of assembly challenged by powers of this world. In places like uh, Russia and Cuba, saints have to uh, uh, register with the government which isn't just a nice uh, thing. I mean, maybe there's some good reasons for that. But that registration is primarily so we know where you are and what's going on and your doctrines have to be approved or else 
And we can't have y'all, we can't have any rogue assemblies. But those who are really just trying to preach and teach and follow up to the pure doctrine of Christ still assemble, knowing that any day the doors get busted down and they might be in big trouble. Of course, that happens, you guys have read, for years, for decades. Uh, saints in China met in homes, not able to sing the way we're able to sing, however we want, but having to whisper their songs and hymns so that the neighbors don't know and report them so the people don't come. Why do you think governments of the world are so interested in, if they are opposed to Christ on a, on a principle level, why do you think they're so interested in assemblies? I mean, whenever the people get together, all we're doing is singing some songs that frankly they find to be pretty silly. We're reading a book that they think is mythology and just foolish ideas. And it's not like we're amassing any kind of great armies or anything, and certainly that's true in other places. Why do you think the devil has been so interested in using governmental powers in this world to suppress the assemblies of the saints of all things? Why? Maybe it's because the devil understands perhaps even better than we do how powerful the assembling of the saints really is for God's people. One of the best ways to crush our faithfulness, to loosen our grip on our confession, to make us less secure in what we have in the Lord is the absence of this time we share together. We've recently studied 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to uh, uh, not, I know not everyone has, was able to be a part of that Bible study. We're actually in our Bible study tonight going to kind of do a little bit of a workshop style discussion where we talk about principles from that, lessons from that, maybe questions that arise, maybe ways we can improve in the times when we gather together in these assemblies so that we can encourage each other, so that we can really stir each other up to love and good deeds. What I'd like you to do is turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes outlining. Uh, some of the fundamental principles of this text to help us think about our assemblies. We know how important and essential and vital it is. The Lord commands us to assemble together. Uh, we see that powers of this world and of darkness fight against the assemblies, aff affirming to us even more how important this is that we meet together. Uh, how are we supposed to conduct it? Whenever I show up here for the assemblies, what's the value of it? What are we trying to get across here? And what is my part in this? And how are we supposed to go about our business here? I want to look at four principles here in the text in 1 Corinthians 14, and then try to think about some uh, categories of practical expression of those principles. Uh, so here we go. Let's do it. 1 Corinthians 14. We're not going to read the entirety of the text, but I do want to start at the very end to just highlight something here. Verse 37, he says, If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. I think the implication of that is, or if someone says, if anyone ignores this, then he is to be ignored. I think the point is, if you ignore God, how do you think your worship's going up before God? You can't play around with this stuff that God says. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So a couple of principles from this before we dive into, uh, or just a couple of ideas here to set us up. The things we're going to talk about are not opinion things. Well, uh, there is going to be an opinion section. I'll make that very clear. And that part may be garbage, so throw it away if you want to. But as we look at what the text actually says, this is not Paul saying, here's what I think would be a good idea for the churches. Nor is it even him saying, hey, Corinthians, here's what I think would be good for you guys in particular. This is the Lord's commandment. Things must be done in a proper manner according to the Lord, not according to us. We don't dictate how the assemblies go, how we'd want them. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure they'd be pretty different. If, uh, if we just got to all kind of uh, make up the rules, uh, I would have some ideas. 
but I recognize that God is way smarter than me. So my ideas aren't as good as God's ideas. So we're just going to roll with what, what he says. Um, another thing I'm just going to observe here, you notice the reference to uh, prophecy and to tongues. The specific issue that sparked this chapter, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, y'all remember from our recent studies, was about the expression of miraculous spiritual gifts. We're not going to primarily discuss that in this uh, teaching. We're just going to see what are the principles that were to govern their assemblies and how does that apply to us. So I just want to make that observation. I'm not trying to ignore the importance of uh, that discussion, but that's just not what we're going to emphasize uh, right here. And oh, yeah, one more thing. These principles that we're going to look at are for the I don't know of a better way to say this, but for the formal assemblies of the church in First Corinthians 11 and verse 18. And again, here in chapter 14 and verse 23, 28 and 35, Paul says, when you gather together as a church. Well, wait a second. Why did you just say when we gather together? We gather together all the time, maybe even almost on a daily basis. There's something special, though, when the church, the congregation, the assembly comes together. I think that's what we see in First Corinthians from Paul's instructions. And that's what we're focusing on. These principles govern uh, the whole church assembly. In other words, this is different than three or four of us getting together for prayer or three or four of us getting together or 10 or 15 of us getting together for a Bible study. In a sense, that's the church gathering. That is right, because every person who's been saved in Christ is a member of his church. But that's not what Paul's addressing here. What he's addressing is when a local congregation says we're all coming together to worship the Lord, to consider his things. So that's what we're talking about. here. All right. That's enough preliminary stuff. Let's get to it here. First Corinthians 14, beginning in verse one, I'm going to read through verse six to find our first principle. It's important for understanding how and why we gather together uh, as saints in these assemblies. First Corinthians 14, verse one, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Let's pause right there. Paul, throughout this chapter, makes it very clear that speaking in tongues, that is speaking in languages that the hearers do not understand, is in some cases absolutely useless, even though he acknowledges it comes from the Spirit of God. But he says, in the assemblies of the saints, don't do it. Well, why, Paul? Well, you should prophesy. Why is prophecy a better gift? Why are you ranking the gifts, Paul? Are we all part of Bible Christ? For sure. But when the saints come together in the assembly, he says, you need to prioritize things like prophecy. Well, why is that? Notice in verse three, he makes the contrast and helps us understand our first principle here that should govern our assemblies. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That first word is actually the key one that I want you to notice in this text, edification or building up, some translations say. In verse four, he speaks about edifying the church again. And in verse five, he speaks about uh, that the church may receive edifying. If you skip down to verse 12, he says again, so you also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound, 
not in just your gifts, but for the edification of the church. Look again in verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So here's our first principle. The purpose of our assembling together as a church is for the benefit of all in their growth in Christ. It's for the benefit of all in their growth in Christ. We exhort each other. We comfort each other. Uh, we remind each other. We teach each other. We do all these things to build up each other in our devotion to, in our relationship with Christ. Wasn't that what Hebrews chapter 10 said? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Why? Is God sitting up in heaven, like taking attendance every Sunday? Is that what it's all about? No, that's not what it's about at all. The text tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Consider one another how to stir each other up so that you'll hold fast to the confession of your faith, to build each other up. That's the purpose of why we show up on the first day of the week. And actually, it's not even just for the saints. Look at verse 20, beginning of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20. We read verse 26 which is kind of the summary of a section that says it's not just about y'all, the saints who get together. Verse 20 says, brethren, don't, don't be children. In other words, don't be little kids in the way you think. Uh, yet an evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers. I will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a for, a for a sign, not to unbelievers, to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad or insane or crazy? They walk in and you're just doing all kinds of foolishness, ultimately, in the way you're expressing it. That's not going to help anybody. But verse 24 says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he'll fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. The building up isn't just me. I already believe. All right, it's good, man, for me to sing these songs, to be reminded of what the Lord is. And just as I am, without one plea, the Lord has taken me and changed me. He'll continue that. And that's good. And reading the word of God and praying again. This is all. And, and taking the bread and the cup. This builds up my faith. True. But it also is vital for the building up of those who may come in who may not know the Lord or may only know him a little bit or may not have an accurate knowledge of him. We come together for the purpose of not just checking off a divine roll call or something like that. And we don't just show up even just for ourselves. The purpose of the assemblies of the saints is that all may be built up and grow in their devotion to Christ. All right. So that's that's principle number one we learned from First Corinthians 14. How do we accomplish that? Well, we've already got we've already kind of read some of what Paul says here in verse two. Uh, he speaks about the way that this edification, this building up is going to happen is through understanding. It's through understanding. So maybe we'll say it this way. The, the, the Look at verse two it says for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God for no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Skip down again to verse six. If, you, if, if I come speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? Well, the profit we're trying to get is edification. But Paul says, you can't be built up. Well, why not, Paul? Why won't that build me up? It might make me feel good to know that you're speaking in a tongue or that you're doing something vaguely spiritual, even if I don't get it. That could be constructive for me. Paul says, no, it's not actually. I, I should say again, the Lord says that's not constructive for us. It says, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? We then read the first verse of his illustrations where he says, you know, if you're out there in the world, people can blow trumpets, for instance, on a battlefield. 
But if the guy who's blowing the trumpet, if the warriors don't understand what that signal means, they're not going to be able to go out and fight. They're not going to be able to do anything. Uh, and, and he says, you know, there's all kinds of languages in the world and all of them have meaning. But if I don't understand the meaning, then we're foreigners to each other. There's no constructive. There's nothing constructive that happens about that. So here's our second principle. In order for principle number one to be fulfilled, for the purpose of us coming together for edification to actually be fulfilled, clear, constructive communication must be issued in the assemblies. Clear, constructive communication is what we're going for in the uh, in the assemblies. Look at verse uh, 12 again. He says, so you also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of this church. Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. In other words, make that language understandable. For if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, but my mind or my understanding is unfruitful, what is the outcome then? I'll pray with the spirit. I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, the one who doesn't understand, how will they say amen? That word amen just means Uh, So be it. I agree. Like we're we're on the same page here. I get what you're saying. Amen. How could they ever say that? For you are giving thanks well enough. Good for you. That's great that God's giving you a gift or you're giving thanks. But the other person is not edified. Why aren't they edified? Because they don't understand. The communication is not clear. It's not constructive. It's not building them up. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But listen to what Paul says. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. The way that our purpose of building up each other is going to happen is when there's clear uh, communication that's constructive for all of us in our pursuit of Christ. So um, what this means is, is that uh, even something that's spiritual, which Paul says, praying in the spirit, singing in the spirit, if it's not with the mind also, in the assemblies, it's not useful. That doesn't mean it's not useful, period. Again, we're talking like that. That could be useful in other venues, Paul's saying. But in the assembly of the saints, it's not useful. And he actually goes on to say that if uh, worship activity or worship activities are done in such a manner that it's incomprehensible, don't do it. Look at what he says in verse 26 after the bit about uh, uh, what you call it, the, the, the outsider who's coming in. He says, what is the outcome then? Verse 26, brethren, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, it may be that Paul's saying, this is good. Everybody's got something different going on. And that may be his point. Although I actually kind of think his point, given the next couple of verses, is the opposite. He says, I think what verse 26 is saying is, you guys are a mess. You show up and like this dude is speaking in tongues. And this lady over here is trying to give a revelation. And, and this other guy is trying to interpret the one who's speaking in tongues. And somebody else says, I have a song that I've written and I'm going to start singing it right in the middle of all this. It's not comprehensible. There's no communication happening. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of talking, but there's no communication being issued that could actually build up those who are present. Listen to what he goes on to say. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at most three. In other words, somebody's like, well, I've got a tongue. It's like, well, look, we've already got like five people in line. Like, sorry, we can't have everybody because that's not going to allow for real constructive, clear, comprehensible communication. Uh, And he says it should be in turn. So don't do it all at the same time. And... One should interpret. There should be somebody to interpret. It should be uh, something that's explained. He says, but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. I've got a tongue. Well, do you have an interpreter? I don't know. Interpreter? Anybody? Nope. All right. 
Thanks very much. I'm sorry. Do that with God. That's good for you, but it won't help the rest of us. And the purpose is not just for you to show, look at this gift God's given me. The purpose of the assembly is to build each other up, which can only be accomplished through clear, comprehensible, constructive communication. You go on in verse 29. He even says it's not even just about tongues. He says, even with prophets, let two or three prophets speak uh, and let the others pass judgment. So there needs to be some examination of whatever is said by the prophets. He says, but if a revelation is made to another who's seated, the first one must keep silent. So somebody's given their revelation, all this kind of stuff. And somebody else says, hey, I have something from the Lord. Well, then first one, sit down. Let somebody else talk. Right. Um, the communication needs to be conducted in a way that people are able to understand. That leads us into principle number three. Principle number So principle number one, the purpose of the assemblies is that we would build each other up in our devotion to and our love for Christ. That's the why we get together. Number two, how do we accomplish that? We accomplish that through clear, comprehensible, constructive communication in Christ. But number three, in order for that uh, communication to be facilitated, things must be done in an orderly manner to facilitate that communication. Some of y'all experienced this at times in your life where you were in a school maybe, and there was a teacher who had no order in the classroom. It was a madhouse in there. How much did you actually learn? Now you may have learned a lot because you were a diligent student, you read the books, whatever. But if it was a madhouse in there, how much did you actually learn in that classroom? How much were you built up in whatever that subject matter was? Not much because the chaos around prevents your ability to understand, to be able to take in what's being communicated. The teacher may have been doing a great job saying what they were saying, maybe using all kinds of techniques, but you're not able to understand because the environment is a disorderly, chaotic sort of environment. And so the Lord gives great attention in this text to an orderly environment so that that communication can be fostered. We've already seen that in these verses we've just read. Hey, have two or three, have an interpreter, even if it doesn't have to be interpreted, you should only have two or three and there should be others who pass judgment to examine this, to really consider the prophecy that's being made and whatnot. He goes on what we already read in verse 40. He says, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So this order is a big deal. Um, we mentioned this in verses 20 through 23. He said, imagine that the guy who's an outsider comes in and it's just a madhouse. Everybody's saying stuff, doing stuff acting however they're acting, all in the spirit, all doing things, and I shouldn't even do air quotes, all in the spirit, all doing things from gifts that God gave. But the reason I did air quotes because it's not really in the spirit, because it's not really conveying any of the spirit's things that God wants to convey to this person who may come into your uh, midst. The, the text here says that too many different activities or competing, predominating leaders in the assemblies has to be avoided in order to facilitate the kind of environment where that clear, comprehensible, constructive communication can be issued so that everyone will be built up in Christ. All right, why are we doing this? We've seen principles. We get together uh, in order to build each other up in Christ, to edify one another. That happens through our communication of God's things, which demands an orderly environment that God sets up. God says, hey, I'll also say some of the order stuff God doesn't set up specifically. Y'all do know, I think we know, but just I should say it out loud. Y'all do know that there's nothing divine about having a scripture reading call to worship and then some songs and then a prayer and then some more songs and then a reading and then a lesson and then the Lord's Supper. Y'all know God said nothing about that, right? If we wanted to, we could show up here, sing a bunch of songs and take the Lord's Supper, pray a couple of times. We could show up and we did this actually a few weeks ago, remember, where we had multiple people give readings and songs and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. Like God doesn't say precisely how the order is to be ordered. All he says is do it in an orderly manner. We don't even have to have uh, song leaders. You ever thought about that? We don't have to. 
If we figured out some other orderly way to go about it, we could all just sit here and just sing. Now, what we've determined for now, and if somebody has better ideas, let's throw them out there. Let's figure out something else is let's have somebody up here to help set the order for us so that we'll be able to have clear, constructive communication. But you get the point, right? We have to follow an orderly manner. Then God tells us you go figure out how to do that uh, in your context. And that's a beautiful thing. Kind of like what God did with Adam and Eve in the beginning. He made the garden, said, go take care of it. He didn't give him any other instructions past that. Y'all figure it out. God's always done that. Anyway, what's the ultimate end? of this building up each other through the communication that we issue to each other in an orderly manner. What's the ultimate end of all this that we're trying to accomplish? Go back to actually that passage about the outsider who comes in your midst. Remember what it says in verse 25? Look at it again. What is it when someone walks away from an assembly of the saints? What is it that they should be on their mind the most? What is it in their heart that they should be drawn to? What is it they should be made most aware of? For sure, a realization of our own sinfulness and our own problems and our own failings. But ultimately, verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God. Declaring that God is certainly among you. In other words, it should never be that we walk out of the assemblies of the saints and no one should ever walk out of our assemblies and talk about us or talk about the place or talk about, I don't know, anything other than God. That's what we're striving for. And God help us to actually conduct our assemblies in such a way that this would be the effect. That when people walk away, they think about God's commandments for their life. They think about God's love for them. They think about God's hatred of their sin and God's demand of their repentance and the hope that God gives them of life in, forever in Christ. That's why we do all this stuff. That's what we're doing for each other is to build each other up in our deep awareness of God. And even the way we conduct these assemblies is designed by God for that. If we'll submit to it, look at verse 32. He, he's been talking about all this chaos and hey, y'all got to get that in order. Well, why? Verse 32, he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. All right. In other words, don't say I, I can't control myself. Yes, you can. And then verse 33, he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the assemblies of the saints. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the orderly manner that you conduct yourselves in, not even just what you're saying, but how you conduct your assemblies is meant to convey things about the nature of God, the peace and the order and the harmony that exists among God's people when they assemble together, the reverence that we demonstrate in the assemblies whenever we're praying or when we're listening to the word of God or whenever we're singing, the passion that we have, the care that we have for one another and, and extend to one another before and after and even during our assemblies. Those convey things or are meant to convey things about the nature of God. He says, don't be chaotic in your assemblies because God is not chaotic. God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. And actually, it's even more than that. You know, probably the most challenging for us in our culture, I'm sure in other cultures, they don't even think twice about it. But in our culture, verses 34 and 35 are really challenging for us to enjoy or embrace or even understand why it even makes sense. Verse 34, the women are to keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but are, subject, are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? I just want to give a brief explanation that uh, uh, maybe y'all remember the text here says uh, the teaching or the prophecy should be given judgment. So give judgment if, uh, if this is false and come let me know about it, and we'll even talk about it more broadly if that's the case. I don't think this text is uh, prohibiting any noise coming out of a woman's mouth when the assemblies come together. 
Uh, if so, all y'all women got to repent for all that singing y'all just did. And I don't think that's it because other scriptures instruct all saints to sing. I think given the context, uh, there may be even more uh, like specificity than this. But I think given the context, what we're seeing here is that this is a prohibition of uh, women taking singular influence over the assembly verbally. Does that make sense? So singing, I don't think that there's any prohibition on that. What this text is about is people who would stand up and address the congregation or sit down. I don't know if they were standing or sitting on their knees, but somebody who's addressing the congregation and everyone else is listening to that individual to address and dictate where the congregation is going. I believe that's what's being instructed here. All right. Back to the point, though. What does this convey about God? God doesn't like girls. Well, no, he made women uh, with glory. Uh, the, the scriptures teach that uh, women express God's nature just like men do. So uh, what is the point here? Here's a point. I don't know if this is the point, but related to this uh, idea that we come, our assemblies are meant to exalt God in the eyes of all who are present. I'm pretty sure if you went around the room and said, hey, just pretend this wasn't in the Bible. Would you make this rule? I'm pretty sure every single one of us would say no. Opposite, probably. And yet we submit to this. Why is that? Is it not because we believe that even when our wisdom comes in conflict with God's wisdom, we trust in his wisdom, even whenever it makes us quite uncomfortable, when we dislike it, when we disagree with it, we do what God says. Our assemblies convey our faith, our trust, our submission, our reliance in the goodness of God and the wisdom of God. That's what it is. And this is. Yeah, I'm not going to say more about it. You guys get the point, right? Our assemblies are all about everything about the way God has constructed our assemblies is meant to convey his greatness, his glory. That's what it's all about. So may it never be that we walk out and talk about any of those who may lead in worship. If so, then whoever of us have led in worship, if we're the ones getting talked about, then we've failed and we need to do better next time. May it never be that people talk about, like I said, any of the other trappings of our assemblies. The one at the center of this, the one who is supposed to be at the center of this is God himself. And that's what we're supposed to be impacted with in our assemblies. All right. This is um, this is the opinion section. So you may want to call it the garbage section, and that's fine if you want to. But I'm just going to give a couple of observations that I think are worth us thinking about. And like I said, we're going to try to extend this discussion into our Bible class this afternoon at five. And uh, and actually, frankly, we're having our congregational meeting next week. And I think one of the great things about the past few months is we're kind of emerging out of the restrictions we were under uh, previously because of the pandemic. Uh, even though we're still dealing with all the circumstances related to that, uh, is we're kind of getting to reboot ourselves as a congregation. You may have some ideas or some thoughts about how we could execute these principles in a more meaningful and impactful way, in a way that would make us all glorify God more. I hope you're thinking about that. And if you have concepts and ideas that uh, every single member should take it upon themselves to suggest those so we can consider them and see what we can do to help each other accomplish what Hebrews 10 says we're supposed to accomplish together. But here's some practicalities that I think grow out of this. So first of all, practicalities for just engaging in worship whenever we show. In other words, whenever I show up here, what are some practicalities I should consider from this text? Uh, for all of us, we should consider that what we express is fundamental to how we strengthen each other. And that expression, of course, is something we do both with our words, but also in other ways, I think. Um, so an example with our words. Paul here says... How can someone say the amen? I think this was mentioned a couple of months back in another sermon. Almost, It's kind of like whenever Jesus said, when you fast, you know, there's no commandment to fast.
But Jesus just takes it for granted that you're going to fast if you're one of his followers. From time to time, you're going to fast. That's going to happen. Here, Paul takes it for granted that whenever the assemblies come together, that the saints are going to say amen. I don't know if that's going to be after every sentence or every point or whatever, but they're going to do that. That's going to be a part of the assemblies of the saints. Right? Man, you guys totally missed that cue. That hurts my feelings super bad. Amen. I set you up so easy. All right, whatever. Next time. But you get the point, right? Um, now, here, here's why. Okay, so that's not just like to make the preacher not feel like he's a loser and he's not saying anything important. Actually, what it is, is if there's something true happening in prayers, and I mean in prayers, not just at the end of, end of prayers, but in prayers, in songs, in readings, in teachings, whatever it may be, saying the amen is a way of letting my brothers and sisters know, hey, that thing you're thinking about in your heart that's important to you, it's important to me too. I stand right by with you on that. I agree. We both agree with the Lord. It's a bonding sort of thing. And it's a communication that helps everyone to understand, yes, this is our stuff. This is important. This matters. This means something. So saying the amen or whatever you want to say is fine. Now say it for real. Okay. Say it thoughtfully. The first congregation that I ever uh, worked with when I was a teenager, um, there was a lot of amening. And sometimes it's a little mindless sometimes with some folks. So uh, I don't know. We do this every once in a while where we'll be reading a verse and we'll purposely misread the verse, right? So um, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things I write to you are Paul's opinion, right? Purposely misread the verse so people pay attention and say, oh yeah, that's that's wrong, right? It's a stupid little gimmick that preachers do. Um, but but sometimes I would do stuff like that and personally say, that's right, that's right. Be like, are you sure about that? Maybe, like, oh yeah, no, I wouldn't be really paying attention, honestly, you know? I know another guy, I honestly believe he's on a timer. I really think that. But he just says amen every few minutes. The next affirmative strong statement you make, he's saying amen. One time, uh, the preacher of that congregation, he went to him. He said, hey, I just want you to know I'm preaching on marriage tonight. Don't say amen after anything I say about women. You don't need that in your marriage. Right. You get the point. OK, be thoughtful about this kind of stuff. OK, be thoughtful. About this kind of, but saying the amen is a valuable, practical way for us to let each other know, hey, this is uh, this is a way that we're bonding to ourselves, to the Lord together. Um, but another thought is that edifying communication isn't just what we say, but it's also what we do. I think this is a worthwhile consideration for your studies is to look throughout the scriptures at how often uh, physical acts are directly connected to worship. The scriptures speak about raising your hands. I don't know how high it may be in your lap, it may be over your head, whatever, but lifting up holy hands to God. Or what about bowing your knees in prayer or lifting your eyes up in worship? All those kinds of things. And by the way, I'm not asking you to do anything that uh, is not your normal communication. I think that's actually the way we should. We should communicate as we communicate. We're not talking about contriving things or pretending like something you're not or somebody you're not. But I'll tell you this. If you've ever thought, you know, I really feel like kneeling during this song. I feel like getting on my knees right now in this prayer. I'm just moved right now with what we've been thinking about. I need to raise my hands up to God as a reminder to myself that God is the one who's my real anchor. You should do that. I don't know that we're the most expressive whenever we're sitting around. I'm not saying that's all wrong or bad, but it could be better perhaps. The scriptures speak a lot about physical expressions of acts of worship. Uh, and that's not disorderly. It's perfectly orderly. God has laid it down in his word as uh, ways to express what we believe about God. And that's a practical way that we can stir each other up and help each other. Uh, and of course, it goes beyond that paying close attention, singing passionately or empathetically, 
uh, all the things that we do whenever we come together are ways that we're communicating things to help one another. I want to say uh, something for those of us, reminders that uh, God help me, I, I, I think all of us need to, to remember whenever we're those of us who are leading in worship, those who serve the congregation by leading in worship need to be extremely careful, extremely careful to understand what we're doing. We're enacting an act of service to set the order of what the congregation is doing, to provide communication that will build everyone up in Christ. It's not a performance. And that's a danger. We got little rows here. Which way are they all angled? What's up? Right here. But so I don't know how we fix that. Somebody come up with an idea of how we can fix that. That'd be great. Obviously, the reason we do this is so everybody can hear, everybody can understand, because that's, again, what we're trying to do while we're here. But but we've got to avoid those of us who lead and those of us who are, are engaged in worship together to never think too much of the person who's standing up here at various times. And those of us who do uh, provide service in leading the congregation, setting the order and, and communicating God's things has to make sure it's God's things that we're communicating. The things that we say must be rooted in the word of God. We got to avoid opinion giving or attention bringing to ourselves or whatever. I'm not saying that you got to be a robot up here. You're communicating. You're saying things. You're a real person that God made in his image. So communicate. But the focus, once again, whenever we all get done here, people should leave saying, oh, God was in their midst. Not, wow, that song leader was really hitting it or he wasn't hitting it today, or whatever it may be, or wow, that preacher, man, he's just too long-winded, blah, 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 whatever, or man, that was so great, whatever they may say. That's not what we're trying to get across. It shouldn't be about those who lead. We're just tools that the Lord is using for the service of the congregation in general, um, which means those of us who do lead, I mean, I think just as a suggestion, again, we're in the garbage uh, portion. I don't think this part's garbage for sure. So this is always good. Those of us who lead, we should pray. Don't just wait for somebody else to pray for you. Before you get up to offer prayer, pray for humility. Pray for words that would build up the congregation. Before you get up to read, say a little prayer. God, I want you to be glorified. What am I do? Before you get up and share a word with the congregation about the gospel or about some teaching, say a little prayer to yourself that God would help you with that. Obviously, we pray for each other in those ways, but that's really important that we have the kind of humility uh, to do this. Um, yeah, and going along with that, besides praying for humility, we need to be thoughtful, those of us who lead in worship. Um, as much as possible, I shouldn't, and this isn't always possible because sometimes you show up about five minutes before service, like, hey, we need you to do X, Y, Z to help the congregation with worship, and you don't have a choice. You just have to do it. But ideally, don't just pick a random scripture and then read it. Think about it. What could help the congregation as we sit down for worship? What would help the congregation be prepared for that? Be thoughtful about this uh, in order to present things in a way that, that's uh, clear and comprehensible and makes a difference for people when they're sitting down for worship. Whenever I'm picking the songs, I don't need to sit back and be like, what's my five favorite songs? You guys notice, and actually probably if you know, if you notice today and other times when uh, the songs are selected, there's a lot of times a real order to that, a real thoughtfulness of, hey, here's these ideas that are being communicated. It's not just five random cool songs that we're gonna sing that'll make us feel something. Hopefully they make us feel something because of what they're communicating. Those of us who lead, we need to continue to strive to be thoughtful about that. And by the way, those of you who have thoughts about how those of us who serve in leadership could improve upon these things, let us know in all these arenas, in whatever way that we're serving the congregation. That's no offense. If somebody comes and tells me, hey, man, I really wish you'd do better about your preaching in X, Y, Z way. Great. Might hurt my feelings. 
but good. Because if I'm not doing a good job, that's not helping anybody. We're not up here just to talk. We're not up here to lead songs just because we like to sing or whatnot. We're trying to do this to build up the body and ultimately to honor and exalt God. All right, so that's for whenever we get here. Uh, the next couple of things are going to be much briefer. So uh, what about making a priority to get here? Uh, the Hebrew writer records God's commandment in Hebrews 10. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Do not forsake it. Now, notice the command is don't forsake it. Not uh, you're going to hell if you are prevented from assembling with the saints. Like, I don't know, you're sick or there's an illness or maybe a hurricane or whatnot. Something may happen that may prevent you. I don't think the Apostle Paul was in sin whenever he was in prison for all those years and was forsaking the assembly. He wasn't forsaking him. He was in prison. He couldn't go to the assembly. Right? So that's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is the importance of making it a priority to say, hey, when the saints gather, when the church is assembled, I'm going to be there unless I absolutely cannot. I'm incapable of it. I'm going to be there. Think of it this way. Uh, or ask yourself. And by the way, I got to say, in general, I'm not issuing this as, as a word of exhortation, but as a word of encouragement to carry on, because I see this in a great majority of, of, of those of our number. But I should ask myself anytime I'm thinking, about, I don't know if I'm going to show up for the assembly. Would the thing that you're saying, I wouldn't show up for the assembly, would you use that same reason to call out of work? Maybe you would, but maybe that's because you have a lame job and you don't like going to work and all that kind of stuff. But you know what I'm saying? If you care about your job and if you, you know what I'm saying, right? Would you use that same reasoning? Sometimes, yes. I'm ill. Literally, weather prevents me from getting outside the door. There's some dramatic circumstance that's occurred with a loved one that I'm caring for. Okay, all right. But whatever priority I place on showing up to work, or how about this one? Uh, if you had set an appointment with some friends to go to brunch, would you cancel brunch with your friends? for whatever the reason may be that you say, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not just picking those examples out of a hat, by the way. Whenever we're coming together, it is work. Y'all know that. I mean, uh, the worship assemblies are encouraging, but it's kind of work to sit there, to think, to sing the songs, to reach out to each other, embrace each other and care, because you may not really be feeling like it. it can be work sometimes to come together with the saints. It's also a, a bonding experience of where we're coming together with our family and our friends in Jesus Christ to encourage each other. All right. So again, would you call out for work or would you cancel that brunch appointment for whatever the reasons may be that you're thinking, eh, I don't think I'm going to show up for the assembly. I know this is a silly thing. You're like, dude, we're sitting here. Like, why are you talking to us about prioritizing this? I'm saying this, though, as an encouragement for any future time when we might struggle with this and how important it is that we prioritize this in a secondary way. But I'd say in a, in a very similar way, it's it, we should place a similar kind of priority on the group Bible studies, not all of them but our congregational Bible study on Sunday and on Thursday. And here's why, by the way, it's not just because I think someone might say, Oh, I don't really need to show up. I'll just get the teaching later. I'll download it or I'll read the chapter and it's the same, or I'll just call up somebody was there and ask them what, what, look, it's not just about information. Think about what's really valuable about. And, and if you haven't thought about this, just do it like today, Thursday, do it for a couple of weeks, just sit around and watch what goes on before and after the assemblies. It's not just what happens in the assembly that matters those little conversations you have before it's that person who sees somebody else sitting there looking kind of sad and lonely and going and sitting there and putting their arm around saying hey what's going on and they say man i was just struggling like that thing that got shared we sang that song and i'm not there and i i'm having a hard time 
There's confession of sin. There's prayer for each other. There's just an embrace and an encouragement. How are you doing? I'm honestly struggling. My job was terrible this week. I'm having a hard time. Those kinds of experiences are vital. It's not just the formal sit-down activities that we do together, but what we share with each other both before and after our times of coming together in the assembly are really crucial for us to carry on in the work that we're doing for God. And so here's the last, uh, the last thought that I'll share as far as the practicalities. The whole point of our assemblies, as we build each other up through clear, comprehensible, constructive communication in an orderly environment so that communication is facilitated that ultimately honors and glorifies God. Go back to chapter 14 and verse one. What's at the root and heart of all of it? Pursue love, pursue love. The chapter just before this was about the love of God. In the very, at the end of this book, Paul is going to say, let all that you do be done in love. We come together to stir each other up in the love of God, to be reminded of his love for us, to carry out that love ourselves in the good deeds that we do under his guiding wisdom and control. That's what this is all about. It's an act of love. So on those days when I don't feel like showing up or I don't feel like singing the songs because I'd rather just sit here and let everybody else sing, or I don't really want to talk to anybody afterwards, or I don't really want to pay attention when the word of God, or I don't really, I'm not feeling the bread in the cup today. Do it. Take it, be here, and be here when you're here out of love, to grow your love for God and to extend God's love to your brothers and sisters and to all who may be among us.